Welcome to Douglas Wilson's Blog and May Blog, presented by Canon Press. Bat Guano Crazy, November 22nd, 2023. Introduction. Certain topics are guaranteed to generate troll swarms, and trying to be sensible about Judaism is one of them. I'm actually tempted to open up the comments on this post in order to prove my point, and perhaps you should stick around to see whether or not I'm willing to be quite so rash. Once the chum of a sensible Judaism take is in the drink, there's nothing whatever that can be done to stop the water around the boat from bubbling like a pot on high heat. They just can't help themselves. And there are usually so many that show up that we run out of petards for folks to hoist themselves on. Let's work through this, shall we? My most recent book is American Milk and Honey, and as you can see off to the right, the cover sports an American five-point star and a six-pointed star, commonly called the Star of David. Stick a pin in that, for we shall return to it in just a few moments. Announcement of the book a few weeks ago inspired a number of hot takes, slowed down only slightly by the fact that the hot takers clearly did not know what the thesis of the book was exactly. And so I tweeted more than once, tell us you haven't read the book without saying I haven't read the book. But it had a Star of David on the cover. Wake up, sheeple. A little map. So here's the approach we shall take today. I'm going to begin by making some broad assertions that amount to a general claim that anti-Semites, taking one thing with another, don't know what they're talking about. Having made such a broad sweeping claim, I will take one example that I've heard more than once in just the last couple weeks, put it on a slide with some of my blog and may blog worldview gel, and look at it through our trusty microscope. A massive failure to read the room. The commies are in the midst of a massive attempt at a power grab, and they are doing this at the very moment when the mojo that they used to call the right side of history decided to abandon them. They are consequently spazzing out, and they are doing this because the serene hubris of half a century ago, back when urbane folks were going to build us a great society at a leisurely pace, is entirely evaporated. The left of today is currently being driven by a toxic and heady mixture of panic, ignorance, impatience, and lust. The post-war liberal consensus is lying on its back in the pasture now, all four hooves pointing at the sky. Their project has crashed, and when I say crashed, I mean every part of the airplane is on the ground. It has crashed theologically, ethically, politically, culturally, aesthetically, socially, and philosophically. Their parrot has joined the choir invisible. The progressive project is five minutes away from assuming room temperature and is now in her death throes, heels drumming on the floor of the ER. Some of that last-minute thrashing can be seen in their wild embrace of the most indefensible of positions, like standing with those hang-gliding assassins of Hamas on their way to massacre some folks. But then, but then, you'll never guess. In a masterpiece of bad timing, certain geniuses on the right decided to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. They decided that instead of hanging this rancid anti-Semitism, worldview of losers, around the necks of the commies, and then watching them try to deal with the consequences of their own hateful spleen venting, they would instead pick up a few elements of it for themselves. Perhaps we might find this useful in our cause. Instead of letting the commies just hang themselves, some are suggesting that we try to borrow that rope for a minute. This is like raiding the dumpster behind the leftist restaurant and taking a used grapefruit rind home and putting it on your bookshelf between Edmund Burke and Russell Kirk. This might just be the key to everything. It has been long said in Washington that there are two parties, the evil party and the stupid party. But we must come to understand something important about this. Stupidity comes to us as a many-splendored thing. There's much more to it than simply the squish stupidity of rhino Republicans. That would be the stupidity of the controlled opposition, the stupidity of the kennel-fed Republicans, the stupidity of the lose-slowly brigade. That would be the insider stupidity, and we all know of many examples. 
But there is also outsider stupidity. There is also the stupidity of the ardent activist who took his very first red pill just six months ago and who has no worldview framework for housing all of the things he has read in the course of those six months. When you go down the wormhole of websites, it is hard to remember what you read where. Some of it was sane, some of it was responsible, some of it was what his grandfather tried to tell him a few times, and a bunch of it was just bat guano crazy. And if anybody tries to take him aside and explain to him just how crazy it is, that explainer has a steep hill to climb. This is because to be red-pilled at all is to struggle with the fact that you've been lied to about virtually everything your entire life, and those lies were affirmed by the insider stupidity guardians, all of them nodding solemnly. And let's be frank, the establishment did lie, and more than a little bit. But it is no improvement to abandon your reliance on factory farm lies and go out to the country in order to chase down your free-range lies. And so, these neophyte outsider recruits become an easy prey for someone who offered to explain everything to them, enter the clever mental gymnastic ability of the cranks, laser-focused on the point they intend to make come hell or high water, and with everything outside that laser beam shrouded in obscurity. The problem is that pretty much all of reality is outside that laser beam. The laser beam guys are monomaniacal, and they write big fat books. Following them are the regular foot soldiers, the people, who need a cause. They usually didn't need a cause back in ordinary times, because in ordinary times they were content to sell insurance, or perhaps aluminum siding. But in these troubled times, when normalcy got clipped on the side of the head by the commies, these regular guys took to the streets, and they are hot for an explanation. They need an explanation as to why they can't make it selling insurance anymore. Ahem, a professorial someone says, it was the Jews all along. I tried to make the case for all this in my dissertation at Ball State in 1987, but I was run out of the department by the Rothschilds. I've been fighting for vindication ever since and believe that my hour has come. Ah, said I. I knew it had to be somebody. We stood for a moment and thought. I ventured to speak again, somewhat timidly. Are you sure it wasn't the Anglo-Saxons? You know, Margaret Sanger, John Dewey, Woodrow Wilson. Never heard of them, the man said. Remphen, Compertium, and Prague. As mentioned above, the cover of my book has two stars on it. I don't think anyone at Canon anticipated that we would be accused of sporting the star of Remphan in that design, with some expressing concern about bringing such an ancient symbol of wickedness into their homes. So, huh, you may wonder, what is the star of Remphan? The star of Remphan is mentioned once in the Bible in Acts 7, and under a different name in the place that Stephen was citing, which was Amos 5. Here they are, Stephen first. Quote, then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets, O ye house of Israel, have ye offered to me slain beasts and sacrifices by the space of forty years in the wilderness? Yea, ye took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your god Remphan, figures which ye made to worship them, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. Acts 7, 42 and 43. Stephen is charging the Israelites of the wilderness period of worshiping a false god, and by implication he was accusing the Jewish leaders of his day of following in the same sort of idolatrous footsteps. Stephen was quoting from the Septuagint, and those translators had taken the Chayun mentioned in Amos as referring to the Assyrian goddess Saverin. Kaiwan, the word under Chayun, was the Babylonian name for Saturn. Quote, have ye offered unto me sacrifices and offerings in the wilderness forty years, O house of Israel? But ye have borne the tabernacle of your Moloch and Chayun your images, the star of your God, which ye made to yourselves. Amos 5, 25 and 26. So both Amos and Acts refer to a star, which is an ancient symbol for a god. But what evidence can be brought out to identify this star of Saturn, worshipped in secret by some Israelites in the wilderness, with the star of David? 
Well, if you like hanging out in the dark corners of the internet, you can probably verify all of this at darkcorners.com. But for sensible people, there's no good reason for thinking the Star of Rephaim has anything to do with the Star of David. The Lord Jesus made the synagogue at Capernaum the headquarters of his ministry in Galilee, as we are plainly told in various places. Quote, And they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue and taught, and came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and taught them on the Sabbath days. Mark one twenty one and Luke 4.31. Now, as it happens, the ruins of that synagogue are still there, and the ruins of another more recent synagogue are on top of that. I have had the privilege of walking around in the second synagogue. The ruin is in pretty good shape and is not an indistinguishable pile of rubble. So here's the fun part. If you like, you can still make out how the synagogue that was built on top of the older one, where Jesus ministered, was decorated, including both of the stars that are on the cover of my book. I take this as something of a sign. On the left is a five-pointed star, the kind used on the American flag. On the right is a six-pointed star, the kind used on the Israeli flag. Now I hasten to add that, at this time, we have reason to believe that these were simply being used as interesting geometric designs and not as symbols of any kind of national or ethnic identity. And that being the case, I find it hard to believe that the place where the Lord Jesus had taught so effectively was in such short order festooned with the Star of Remphan. So where did the Star of David as a symbol for Judaism come from then? In the first century, Judaism would have been much more likely to be represented by something like a menorah. To the extent that the Star of David was used, as it occasionally was, it was likely just a decoration, a tomb here or there, and there's at least one Iron Age carving of one. But during the medieval period, the two kinds of star, five-pointed and six-pointed, were used on amulets sold by Christian, Jewish, and Muslim folk healers, the kind of dealers that would sell such magical trinkets to the superstitious. The five-pointed star was called the Seal of Solomon, and the six-pointed star the Star of David, although the names were earlier interchangeable. And then, as time went on, the Christian definitions settled around identifying the six-pointed star as the Star of David. In the 14th century, the Emperor Charles IV gave the Jews of Prague the privilege of having a flag to identify themselves, and they adopted one using the Star of David. They were quite proud of it, and over time, use of the star spread to other Jewish communities in Vienna, Moravia, and Bohemia. The star started to show up on synagogues and tombstones. In the late 19th century, the star was selected as the symbol of the European Zionist movement, and then after Israel became a nation in 1948, the flag of Zionism was basically adopted as the flag of Israel. In all of this, there was not a whiff of Moloch or Saturn or Chayun or Remphan, and it even appears to be a lot less creepy than that floating eye pyramid thing on your $1 bill. That was the work of men with the names Goldstein, Cohen, Horowitz, no, no, just kidding. Had you for a minute. It was the work of Thompson, Jefferson, Franklin, and Adams, all of them as white as their bones are now. Sneaky Anglo-Saxons. The eye represented the providential and all-seeing eye of God, and so we can see the encroachments of Christian nationalism beginning very early on. No, no, not that kind of un-American. One last observation. Every nation has its gifts and glories, and every nation, when it veers into folly, does so in accordance with its own personality. When Americans are being stupid, they do it very differently than do the French, or the Brazilians, or the Japanese. At the same time, because we are all human, there are certain very human ways of being stupid. You know, the tie that binds, a certain bedrock commonality. This means that when things go wrong, because we are all human, they will sometimes go wrong in very similar ways. The Chinese have gotten the same kind of treatment in Malaysia that Jews have historically gotten in Europe, and for much the same reasons. But the Chinese and the Malaysians have only been at it for a comparatively short time. 
The Jews in Europe have been there for century after century, long enough for certain assumptions to get deeply embedded down in everyone's cultural imagination. Because of the false conceit that America was simply a propositional nation and not an ordinary nation, some people used to employ the charge un-American as referring to a violation of a creed or confession. Say that someone would express a sentiment and someone else would say it was un-American because it did not flow by good and necessary consequence from our founding propositions. There's a smidge of truth in this, but only a smidge. We are dedicated to certain propositions, true enough, but we are also tied together by laws, customs, language, music, and blood relation, like other nations. And because America is a regular nation, generated in the ordinary ways, and supplemented as it has been by waves of immigrants, first from here and then from there, our culture has taken shape in such a way as to keep a European-style anti-Semitism from taking deep root here. Various attempts have been tried, and there are, of course, pockets of it, like Harvard, and there have been flash-in-the-pan fads of it. But taking one thing with another, the requisite cultural ingredients are simply not here. There's no generic thing called racism. When the thing that goes by that name appears, it appears in the form of particular ethnic animosities. And just as the Europeans don't have the legacy of white-black relations that we do, so also we don't have the Jew-Gentile history that they do. And that means that serious attempts to get something like that going here will be attempts that come off as lame, strident, and ultimately clankish. So if you read something particularly fruity and ripe in the comments, just think spode to yourself. And then think you lay sewers of Bond Street and smile knowingly. Quote, the trouble with you, Spode, is just because you have succeeded in inducing a handful of halfwits to disfigure the London scene by going about in black shorts, you think you're someone. You hear them shouting, Heil Spode, and you imagine it is the voice of the people. That is where you make your bloomer. What the voice of the people is saying is, look at that frightful ass, Spode, swanking about in footer bags. Did you ever in your puff see such a perfect perisher? P.G. Woodhouse, Code of the Woosters. The comments are in fact open. If you find yourself wanting to say something thoughtless or rude, read this first. Relentless Giveaways, November 22nd through 26th. God Rest You Mary by Douglas Wilson. Get the God Rest You Mary Kindle free and listen to the audiobook free on Canon Plus. Your own NQN flamethrower available now. The giveaway is over, but you can pre-order an NQN branded flamethrower for yourself through the end of November. No, we're not kidding. And the May blog giveaway this week is Chestertonian Calvinism. Stay notified of everything we're giving away at NoQuarterNovember.com. If you are enjoying these videos and would like to support this channel and the work of Canon Press, join up at Canon Plus. Just click the link, create an account, and have a look around.